Support for the game podcast comes from StarCityGames.com, the largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies, and the best MTG strategy content on the web. You can also help support the game podcast by checking out our Patreon at patreon.com slash the G-A-M podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the 66th episode of the Game Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Thompson. Here with me is Brian Gottlieb, a.k.a. Bladewing the Risen. What is up? Like a zombie dragon, the names have returned. After much fervor from all the gamiacs out there, and I'm coining that term right now. That is the, the term for a devout supporter of our podcast. Um, I have been convinced to bring back the clever names. You had requested a legend for this week. I didn't get one from Dominaria. I did find an appropriate legend, though, the zombie dragon himself, Bladewing the Risen, or herself. I'm not sure of Bladewing's gender. Yeah, I guess the the names will be part of the podcast going forward. Hell yeah. I, I tried to think of one for myself today and just failed miserably, so there you go. We're going to talk about one that I thought was appropriate for you from Dominaria later on, but you weren't too pleased with it, so... No, not really, not really. I'm I'm not pleased with a lot of stuff right now. Oh, oh a lot of anger, huh? A lot of anger. No, I'm just kidding. I'm I'm, I'm coming off a, a seven one into ten and five finish, I guess, at GP Phoenix seven one into three four. So brutal brutality. Uh, sounds pretty disappointing. What what happened? Give us give us the breakdown of your entire tournament. You could start with day one. Let's start with the highs and then we'll get to the lows. Yo, let's start with Thursday. So <laughs> I reached out to. My normal squad, which is uh, Josh Cho and Josh Arter Layton, neither of them were going to be attending the event, and I did not have a hotel room, and I was wondering like who I would be able to stay with, whose time I greatly enjoyed, and you know I, cu- I couldn't really think of any anyone really like no no offense to all the folks out there, it's like yeah you you'd be good, I you'd be like seventy percent awesome, but I wanted some like hundred and ten percent awesome folks, you know. Yeah, that's a that's a high barrier, but I, I get it. You want to have your best possible time when you're traveling out to beautiful Phoenix, Arizona. The weather was nice, man. It was good. But I believe that. Yeah, you know, I don't I don't think I'm asking too much. I mean, realistically, I definitely am. But then there was the the matter of what deck to play, and I figured it out on Tuesday or so when I started playing around with these humans decks with Collected Company, and I was beating up on Jund. So I'm like, all right, because. Uh, humans is a deck that I think a reasonable amount of people forgot about. They just kind of forgot it existed. And I think a lot of that was because they just expected Jun to beat up on them. And then all these decks like Infect and Storm started popping up and Ponza. And those decks are pretty bad against humans. So if I could make the Jund matchup good, then surely I would just win the tournament, right? I like where your head's at. Did it play out that way in practice? Well, humans did win the tournament. My homie That's Steve true. Locke. Shout out. One of Iowa's best. I don't want to say Iowa's very, very best because there are a lot of very capable magicians from Iowa, but uh, Steve Locke is definitely among them. And now he's qualified for PT Dominaria. And I'm I'm excited because uh, I'm going to get to talk with him a little bit and work with him for the event. So that'll be sweet. So good job to him. And, you know, maybe if he would have told me before the tournament that, like, I didn't need any of this collected company Bloodbreed Elf nonsense, uh, I would have been better off. But who knows? So I have a lot of cards at my disposal. I own a lot of modern stuff, like anything that goes in like a Grixis deck or a Jun deck, I probably own, right? 
Cards I do not own. Noble Hierarch, Cavern of Souls, Thalia, etc. Right? Ooh, expensive tournament in, in that regards. Well, assuming I, I just, you know, went to a dealer and bought all the cards. Oh, that's not how you operate? Oh, no, that's exactly what I did. I spent $700 <laughs> on a deck for this tournament. So, yeah. uh, starting in the hole and, you know, $400 flight, $100 for a weekend in a hotel room. Uh, it, it was looking to be a pretty expensive weekend. And then my roommate, Andrew Veen, on Thursday, like we were talking about the tournament. He's just like, you know, are you ready? And it's like, well, I have this deck. I don't know how good it is, but it's probably great. Or at least like some iteration of it is great. But, you know, I don't have any of the cards. I don't have anyone to stay with. I just realized that I booked my flight out on Monday instead of Sunday for some reason, et cetera, et cetera. And he's like, well, you know, you could just not go. And I was like, oh, I, I like I didn't even consider that, you know. Thursday night, he's just like, you know, we had that conversation. He's like, okay, I'm going to bed. And I'm just like, uh, all right. So then I just sat by myself in the living room for a few hours and contemplated just like canceling my flight. I messaged Josh Cho. He was awake. I was like, hey, man, can I buy you a flight to Phoenix? And he was like, no, you're an idiot. <laughs> the canceling of the flight, the non-attendance is one of my textbook moves. You know that. Oh, like yeah. You've seen many times where I'm about to attend a tournament and sometimes a tournament just doesn't fit in your life at that moment. And part of me growing up as a magic player, maturing as a magic player, getting magic to fit into my new life a little bit better has been where it doesn't fit into my schedule. I'll just cancel a tournament appearance if I have to and, and get the stress off my back. But that was not what happened here. You ultimately did make the flight out, right? I did. And I don't know. It was it was a combination of just like, oh, why did I not even think about just not going, right? And it was because I haven't played in a while and because it's modern. And if you've been listening to this cast for like the last six months, uh, one of my regular complaints is that I, I don't really have a modern tournament to play in. And certainly coming off second place in a pro tour in the modern format. Uh, you know, I wanted to play like modern has actually been pretty fun lately. It's, it's been kind to me and everything. And I wanted to battle. It never really like crossed my mind, man. I was just like, yeah, everything's going to work out. Right. So then also Thursday night, uh, Steve Rubin posts something about going to Phoenix and I messaged him. I'm like, Oh, whoa, Steve Rubin is awesome. He's like the dude who I've been staying with for the pro tours and everything. And he's, he's just a really good dude and always a good time, right? So I'm like, oh, this is perfect, right? So I'm, I messaged him and I was like, hey, do you need a roommate? And he was like, well, I'm staying with some East Coasters. Like, I'll have to ask them. And I'm just like, oh no, like, who are these East Coasters? Like, I'll get to stay with Steve Rubin, but like, what if it's like two people I don't know or people I don't like, whatever? And I was just like, screw it. Like, I'm just going to go to bed. I'll figure it out tomorrow. And I wake up to a text from Matt Costa. Huh. A little reach back into the past. You don't see Matt at too many tournaments these days. No. So check this out. Him and Chase Kovac booked like kind of an impromptu trip to Phoenix because uh, Matt's girlfriend was going to like do some stuff at their house and like, you know, just wanted like a girl's weekend or something. So then he's like, he asked Chase if he just wanted to go to Phoenix and they said yes. So then they were staying with Steve Rubin. So I'm like, guys, guys, can I please stay with you? And they're like, yeah, of course. And I'm just like, oh, I suddenly want to go again. Yeah, this is a good hotel. If you actually, if you had told me this was your hotel, I might have actually flown out to Phoenix at the last moment because Matt Costa is one of my one of my original travel buddies from back in the Dude, day. I so know. I certainly wouldn't mind. I know, man. And it, as expected, it was good times. It was great. It was so awesome, and I am so glad that I went. I started seven one. Chase and Steve were both six and two, and then Matt Costa unfortunately failed to deal his opponents any points of damage. 
That doesn't seem like a good strategy for a Magic the Gathering tournament in general. I, I'm not a pro. You know I'm, I'm that next tier down. But usually when I show up to Magic tournaments, I do deal damage to my opponent. Occasionally, right? Yeah, so yes. Matt, yes. Matt did not do that for five games straight. And uh, you might be wondering about the sixth game. Well, he got a game loss. So, oh, oh not, a great, not a great trip. Not a great trip. And then also, let's fast forward a little bit to when I get home on, on uh, Monday and Matt sends me a text. It's an image of his car and just having like a, a big smashed in rear end. And apparently oh. that was a thing that happened. He was like, yeah, you know, I, I guess something bad had to happen to make up for all my run goods this weekend. <laughs> this is like the ultimate spiral like we've all seen the magic player in the spiral right oh, yeah. where things are just going one thing after another going downhill one of my favorite ever actually was cedric phillips in pro tour amsterdam uh he was coming over and i was checking in with him to see how his day was going and i kind of knew it was going poorly but just doing the nice thing and talking through it and he went to tell me about his day and like kind of made a hand gesture and threw his deck across the room and it was just the, <laughs> the perfect completion to his story about how poorly his his deck was playing and how poorly his tournament was going. So we've all seen the spiral before. You know how it goes. Yeah. And I mean, Matt, Matt is just a delight. I, I have never really seen him like upset or even like super sad, right? Like he he's like pretty even keel, generally like a little bit happy, sometimes a little bit sad or down or whatever. But like he, he was just like pretty jovial about the whole thing. He's just like, yeah, I was kind of expecting this to happen, you know, the way things were going. Right. He's okay, by the way. He's just like a little sore, a little shaken up, but he's good. That is good to hear. Anyway, uh, the tournament itself played human, started seven one, lost to Tron, did, did defeat Eldrazi Tron on camera, which was nice. I got a congratulatory message from Martin Chusa following that feature match, and he asked me about a play that I made. I told him that in the affirmative, I, I did make that play because of this reason. And he said that the the casters missed it, basically insinuated that I played really badly and that basically everyone else in my spot would have lost the game. Yeah, I've certainly seen that from casters before. It, I think it's it's tough to commentate a game of Magic because one of the things about playing a game of Magic is you put yourself in this very specific space and, you know, are often making plays in furtherance of a game plan that someone just observing from the outside really can't understand. The best commentators get there. They find a way to get there, as it is a daunting task, though. Yeah, for sure. So uh, this, the situation was, I'm at seven, my opponent's at one. I have a tireless tracker, a meddling mage on all his dust, and an absence pilgrim. on my tracker's pretty big, and he has a 6-6 six, six walking ballista that he just cast. I am narrowly avoiding death being at seven life, and uh, the turn... Previous to this, like I had a couple horizon canopies. I was very careful to not deal myself any unnecessary damage because, you know, my if my opponent troned up, he would have enough to exactly ballista me for six. So he ballistas me for mm -hmm. six. I sack some clues. I do my thing. Uh, my only action is a Mantis Rider, which is pretty good if I do get hit with all his dust or Ulamog or something, right? Because it's very unlikely that they have any sort of way to interact with that. But I decided that basically the only way I was really going to lose with like four clues was if my opponent had a, another walking ballista. So I played the Mantis Rider knowing full well that it would just die to the ballista triggers and I would stay at seven life. And then sure enough, my opponent mm -hmm. played another ballista for six. I was again, like narrowly able to avoid death. And I eventually drew into like a reflector mage or something to bounce the ballista and kill very nice, very nice. Yeah, so I think a lot of people in my spot would have just held the Mantis Rider and just died to, like, Ballista Chomping Tracker, shooting my creatures for three, me for three, and then just the other Ballista would have killed me. 
Yeah, playing around, you know, potential ways to lose the game. That's the simplest way to form your game plan. How do I lose this game? Okay, I'll do everything that prevents me from losing in that fashion. Yeah. And if, if you're able to narrow down the possibilities where you can lose the game to, you know, like you're saying, only walk, running walking ballistas can realistically beat me. Yeah, play in that fashion, even if it's non-intuitive to do so on its face. Yep, agreed. Uh, also of note, my opponent had a gut shot in his hand that he couldn't cast because he was at one. Oh, the worst feeling in the world, the non-castable gut shot. Uh, my opponent was uh, Jacob Negro, by the way, who had some very, very nice things to say about the podcast. And that was just like basically a constant with people that I ran into over the course of the weekend. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening. I'm glad y'all enjoy it. And we will certainly try and keep it up, you know? Yeah, I, I always like I don't think it's ever going to not mean the world to me when people take the time to tell me after a match how much they enjoy the podcast. Literally every person who has ever said it to me, it's made a tremendous difference in my day and just like my approach to, you know, the tournament, this podcast, it it, it really makes a huge difference. Tell even if you even if you don't like us, even if you're spite listening to us right now, go tell a content creator you do like that you appreciate their work because it really means a lot every time. Oh yeah. No, like you should you should definitely do that. And as you say that, I I realize I have not done that in a while, so. Time to do it. Yep, for sure. All right, KYT, your gas. There you go. <laughs> so yeah, seven and one. Uh, felt pretty good, especially after the match against Jacob and the message from Martin and everything. And then day two was rolling around and I'm, I'm starting to realize some issues with my deck, you know, just like Forest in the Mantis Rider deck, not great. Uh, having to Cavern of Souls Elf just to cast my Bloodbraid Elf and then not being able to cast Mantis Rider, also not great. So Mano's a little bit off, sideboard wasn't perfect, and I predicted that I would go 3-4 on day two, and I did. Nailed it. Yeah, nailed it. Uh, two more Tron decks. I, I got a game from each of them, but just never in the same match. And that matchup is hard. It's just hard. There's very little you can do. I think if I had more colored lands, uh, I could more reliably cast Unified Will. And would be able to justify playing more copies of that. Cards like Stony Silence and Meddling Mage are just largely not very good against them. And I just need like a faster clock. But like Avacyn's Pilgrim is is just not it, you know? And you're also playing like a lot more mana sources and a lot of slower cards with Bloodbraid and Collected Company. So it's just tough. It's just really tough to put pressure on them. And it's kind of weird because uh, when I was testing like various band decks kind of back in the day, like maybe once Tracker came out and I generally had a pretty good matchup against Tron, despite it not seeming that way. But it was like, even if they wipe your board, like you can company into some big threats like Knight of the Reliquary. If you do play a turn two night, you get access to Ghost Quarter. Uh, Post board, yeah. you have some counter spells. You know, I just always found a way to beat them. And uh, Reflector Mage was certainly a big part of that. And having like Flash Creatures, Collected Company, Selfless Spirit, things like that to uh, be able to deal with like Oblivion Stone and their Planeswalkers and everything like it was it was reasonable. So I was like, oh, yeah, like maybe this human stack could be similar. And just now it's really bad. So I found that matchup to be very play draw dependent with still a slant to I, I would say a dramatic slant in Tron's favor when they're on the play and a slider slant to humans favor when they're on the play. This is with Aether Vial, though. Right. This is like stock lists of, of humans, not, you know, your flashy Bloodbraid Elf uh, collected company type jam. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I believe that. Like, I think the matchup is close-ish because that human's deck is a little over the ground, a little bit faster. And 
You know, they, right. they have Kitesail Freebooter, so some additional disruption and everything. And like Thalia's Lieutenant matters a little bit more because the damage you're dealing them actually matters more, you know? So mm. I, I could see it. I could see it certainly being a lot closer than my deck was. And I don't know. I think I just needed more help than I realized for that matchup. So 0-3 against Tron, played against one Jund opponent, and she defeated me very soundly. Uh, I had mana issues in the second game, but otherwise, like, our match was, like, pretty good. And, yeah, it just came down to, like, oh, our game's going to get close. I have this Mantis Rider that I can't cast. And then I just drew two Mantis Riders in a row and lost. Yikes. It's just like, yeah, I deserve this, you know? So what's up going forward? Were you on to something? <clears throat> just a few cards off? You need to fix your mana base? Or is this, this just kind of like, you know, one of those post-Blood Raid Elf experiments that probably isn't going to pan out? I think I would rather just replace the humans with good creatures. And not play things like Cavern of Souls and Unclaimed Territory, and that would let me have real sideboard cards. Knight of the Reliquary would give me access to Ghost Quarter, which I think would help a lot. So yeah, I just I kind of want to just play like Bat Nightfall. Like Tireless Tracker was my best card, and it was just a one of in my sideboard. So the matchups in Modern are relatively slow and relatively grindy. You know, like I didn't play against any turn three combo decks or anything. So Tracker is actually a hell of a card. Yeah, and you know there was a Bant Nightfall deck which saw some success in in this tournament. Uh, they actually didn't have any copies of Tireless Tracker in their list, so you know if you wanted to start exploring the the Bant Nightfall archetype, maybe there you go. You have a nice starting point. Yeah, I, I would actually just get rid of all the devoted druid nonsense because I think that kind of causes the same problems. Like your beatdown draws right. are going to be worse because you're going to have these crappy combo pieces, and your combo draws are going to be worse because you're going to have these crappy beatdown creatures. So. I would rather just be mostly beat down with some disruption and have the retreat combo finish. And then, yeah, that's it. And like Blood Raid Elf is actually legit good in that deck because you're actually trying to beat them down. And I would much rather play that card than Court of Calling. So I just wanted to posit an idea that I thought of this week that I've never seen explored, maybe rightfully so, but I'm going to talk about it anyway, just because it popped into my head. Since Devoted Druid has kind of taken up a place in the metagame, um, Devoted Druid was a card I played a lot in Old Extended, and I did it in conjunction with Necrotic Ooze. Yeah. And I've I've never seen anyone kind of go down that path in Modern, which in some ways is like a less powerful format than the Extended format, in which I had a lot of success with Devoted Druid and Necrotic Ooze. I wonder if that's a space that could still be explored. I have a feeling there's like a very decent Necrotic Ooze list floating somewhere out there. Um, and I really want to be the person to find it. So I might invest some time in that going forward. So there was a Necrotic Ooze deck that was posted today. It was... Oh, really? It was Eldritch Evolution with, like, Blood Gas, Noose Constrictor, some Tassigers, Gorio's Vengeance. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. It doesn't have Devoted Druid, but he does have two Necrotic Ooze to go with four. Who is this mad genius? Give him, C- give him the props C- right C- now. Him or her C- the props. Capriccioso. Okay. I like where their head's at. I, I need to put in some time with Necrotic Ooze myself. It's been too long since I've cast Necrotic Ooze. Well, that can be your newest rabbit hole. Uh, I actually streamed last night for a couple hours before my internet went out. Uh, I was testing some new, new, sweet, modern archetypes that I thought about a lot on the, the very, very long three-hour plane ride home where I had a lot to think about. <laughs> Just like, what what am I doing with my life? As far as modern, as far as modern is concerned, you know, it's like I thought I thought Tron was going to be on the the downswing, and then it was like I played against Tron three times, burned twice, and then everything else was a one of. 
Yeah, but that doesn't even mean anything. Like if you, if you, at least I am, I'm only looking at the top 32 of this tournament, but there's not a ton of Tron. There's like two Tron lists here. There's no burn whatsoever. And that's the thing is that the modern metagame has gotten so, so wide at this point, even, you know, post Blood Raid Elf plus Jace. I was thinking of like a lot of times when we go over a tournament, when we do our cast each week, we kind of create a narrative for that tournament. Oh, here's what happened in this tournament. Um, People adapted to this. So this card became popular and therefore this happened. And I think we usually do so successfully. And I started thinking about the narrative to this tournament. You know, what happened as far as did people slow down? Did people speed up? I have no narrative for this tournament and I'm not even sure one can possibly exist anymore. The field is just far too open. It's really hard for me to look at this top eight and say, here is the unifying uh, principle which shaped this metagame. I have nothing. I mean, do you have anything to offer as far as how did we get to the place where what's even the takeaway? It's not even like this is a combo top eight or this is a big mana top eight. This is just eight different archetypes doing very different things. And I I don't even know what to say about modern at this point. I, I will say that I think in terms of diversity and viable deck types, and it's like it's not just people fooling themselves into playing pet decks. There really are this many viable decks. This might be the best format of all time. It's entirely possible. I definitely agree with that. I mean, there are certainly some frustrating aspects of the format, but as far as deck diversity, like you you don't get much better than this. But my narrative right. for the tournament was kind of interesting where going into day two at 7-1, looking at all of the undefeated decks, there were two copies of Storm. And I knew Mm. that those copies of Storm were just dead in the water. So I wanted to very, very badly win round nine. And I thought that I would have a really good chance to do well. Because I I wanted to be in the winner's metagame. Because like you said, there wasn't a lot of Tron and Burn up there, you know? And I I just happened to, you know, like lose to Tron. And then I was kind of like in the middle of the pack. And then I was playing against like more Trons and Burns and stuff that weren't doing particularly well. So I think that my deck in the top eight, or at least my deck like among the eight O's, like I, I like my chances better than in with the the Trons and Burns of the format, you know? Okay, that makes sense. But yeah, like, I, I mean, we we talked about how like Storm and Infect and Ponza and all these weirdo decks cropped up and they were beating up on Tron. And then I think the, the winner's metagame were decks that beat up on those decks and maybe like either didn't run into Tron or had a good chance against it anyway, like Scapeshift, for example. And yeah, I think that like the Storm decks did well, like they cut up like last week's metagame. And then when they got to day two, they just floundered a lot because that is basically what I expected to happen. I can get on board with that assessment of day two for sure. I I just don't know that that's a pattern that's going to replicate across future tournaments. Like it's so hard to say what's going to happen at the next modern tournament. Uh, I guess that's kind of our job. So I will at some point come up with some theory. If there's kind of a breakout story from this tournament, I'd certainly say it's the Ironworks combo deck played by Matt Nass. Um, You know, not something new, but this is kind of its first really, really big time finish. Some new tech has come about in terms of just understanding of the stack, which is crazy. Like that's that's how this deck is evolving is people now understand how to execute the combo better. Not that a new piece has been added or anything like that. I, I can't remember the last time that was really influencing the viability of a deck, but here we are. Ironworks combo, it's that complicated that people had to gain a greater understanding of the deck before it becomes a top tier player in the metagame. Right, and... I, I saw like mirror retrievers popping up in lists on Moto, and I'm just like, oh, haha, that's cute. That those are like bad scrap trawlers, but like, no, it's part of the combo. And those right. those people knew, right? 
Yeah, like now the more widespread it becomes, like the easier it is to combo off from a relatively low base. And the combo for those who don't know is having a chromatic star, you you go to crack it. So like if you're on Magic Online, you would click on it, right? And it tells you to pay a cost, pay the one mana. While you are paying the cost, you're you're sacrificing a mirror retriever and a scrap trawler to Kirkland Ironworks. So you're making four mana to pay the one for this cost, but like that's a thing you can do, right? Is like in the the cost-paying window, you get to add more mana to your mana pool with things if you want to, right? Mm -hmm. So then, when Scrap Trawler and Mirror Retriever finally trigger, they see each other in the graveyard. So you can use them to return each other, whereas if you just go sack my Mirror Retriever and sack my Scrap Trawler, like, when you sack the Mirror Retriever, it has to have a target. And when you go to sack the Scrap Trawler, it has to have a target. And neither one is in the graveyard to see the other one. So, there you go. It's kind of brilliant. Something that was missed for a long time and recently was became a huge part of the game plan of these decks. So really cool evolution there. Is this a player in the metagame going forward? Uh, I don't know. It seems very easy to adapt to, I will say. Um, it's kind of preying on the choice of, of cards that are being played right now. Stony Silence is down a little bit. Uh, this deck doesn't do great against Stony Silence, although it does have like engineered explosive. I guess it doesn't have engineered explosive into Stony Silence. It has to rely on Nature's Claim at that point. Right. So I, I think that this is a very easy deck to adapt to, but every now and then it's going to pop up and just kind of put together a really nice run in a tournament like it did this weekend. Yeah, and it's it's like the weekend where Affinity does particularly well, like at Grand Prix Las Vegas last year, or you know maybe there's like a good showing by Lantern or whatever. Like people sleep on their artifact hate, and then they get punished. So KCI is in the unenviable position of losing to Sony Silence and Rest in Peace. So it's it's not ideal, but like, you know, you can at least use your artifacts when they have graveyard hate and use that to like maybe cantrip into a nature's claim or whatever. Sony Silence is almost certainly like a death knell unless they just naturally have the answer in their hand. Yeah, exactly. And and you can see if you look through the top 32, this was a good artifact week. Affinity put up its first kind of decent showing in a while, even though it didn't put anyone in the top eight, two copies in the top 16. So you could certainly see the uptick in the artifact-based decks. And kind of to that point, the only deck that plays both Rest in Peace and Stony Silence, Bogles, which had been kind of terrorizing the format recently, totally absent, not one copy in the top 32 decks. Yeah, uh, I also had Stony Silence and Rest in Peace in my deck. <laughs> I wanted, very nice. So, I, I wanted to play against them so bad. Yeah, that would be a very favorable have, matchup for you. How many copies of each did you have? I had two of each, but I also had like Thalia, Meddling Mage. Like I had a bunch of stuff. Vithian, Renegades. Right, it sounds pretty reasonable. I mean, that's that's human's role, right? Like humans beats up on these kind of combo decks. Yeah. Virtually all combo decks in the format. Yeah, and, and that's that's where I wanted to be. Give me, give me those Storm players. Give me those KCI players. Yep. Yeah, that, that's about it. That's the GP for me. I definitely had a good time. I enjoyed like every single match that I played, even when I was getting Tron. Like the games were still intricate and pretty fun. Uh, I missed on Collected Company exactly once, where I hit zero things. The other times, I always hit two. Uh, sometimes it was like a noble hierarch or whatever, but you know, it still counts. Definitely counts. So those are some fun stats for me. Would I do it again? No, and neither should you. You should just play Steve Locke's deck, probably. So there's the lesson. Don't try and innovate. Don't try and find cute new things to do with humans. Just play the Steve Locke humans list. He was the best. He had the best list. Game over. Game over. That's game. No, I'm just kidding. It, it is not game. 
we have another half of a set to talk about. We're we are also returning to Dominaria right now, just like you know the format itself. Heading over to Dominaria. Oh yeah. When does that happen? Not soon enough, I think. Yeah, it's still pretty far. We're getting these cards very early still. We're going to have to wait quite some time. Well, that means we have a lot of time to think about them and talk about them. Yes, we do. Uh, where do you want to start? Uh, we covered a lot of the colored stuff. Did not hit up multicolor. Did not really hit up too many artifacts. So just... just Yeah, I guess I would want to cruise through just a couple, a couple quick hits in the colored stuff that, you know... I want to talk just a pinch more about Squee the Immortal. I don't think we touched on Squee at all. Old Squee is one of my favorite magic cards ever. This version of Squee, don't know what it's doing right now. I've seen people mention it as kind of uh, a possible upgrade to Haunted Dead out of modern dredge decks. Uh, not having to discard is kind of a big deal. Possibly you know, getting the mana in order a bit more might happen with the inclusion of Squee, but it's not going to change the archetype. It's probably just a one-off at most if it's even good enough. But I hope there's something cool we can do with Squee in standard because this is the type of little plinky value card I like where you get just a little bit here and there from Squee. Yeah, I mean, Magic isn't as much about that these days, but... It's not. It's not. Uh, Squee is also a goblin, which could potentially matter with like Warchief and Siege Gang. So like this plus Siege Gang is, you know, you get infinite Firebolt flashbacks, I guess. That's sort of a thing. Squee... Could do worse. Squee does the Eternal Scourge thing where it works with Serum Powder and Gemstone Caverns, but that seems pretty mopey considering he's only a 2-1. Yeah, you you don't want to base your deck around getting uh, three manas, three mana creatures from exile, unless you're something like Food Chain. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to do with Squee. I mean, obviously, if you're discarding them for value, it's not the worst. But like the thing that you're getting out of the deal is a three mana two one. So it's like, eh, is this really worth it? Probably not. I do like I do like the idea of like casting it to trigger a prize amalgam for sure, though. Yeah, just a little a little clean thing that Dredge can pick up. Okay, a couple more cards I wanted to mention. Again, colored cards. Precognition field. Uh, and I guess we should be reading these cards. I, I can read this one. Precognition field is three colorless you. You may look at the top card of your library. You may do this anytime. You may cast the top card of your library if it's an instant or sorcery card. And you can pay three to exile the top card of your library. Do you have any interest in precognition field? Again, this kind of feels like something that maybe the time has come to pass and you can't really do this successfully in, in magic anymore. Yeah, I think there would be a time where this as like a pseudo future site would be exciting, mm-hmm. but I don't know. Like what it, it all depends on the instants and sorceries that are around, right? Like, are there enough cheap things that being able to untap with this actually allows you to like go off and do a bunch of cool stuff. And I don't think that's the case. I don't think so either, but it's, it's really hard for me to say. I mean, my mind goes to things like, Modern Miracles, where this card is far too expensive, but I've seen worse cards being played in Modern Miracles lists that have been floating around. You can play Jace. Um, you know, you can you play can Jace. Play Jace. You can play Jace. I know there's a lot of good like four mana blue cards that you have to overcome before you can even start thinking of things like Precognition Field. I thought about it in stuff like Storm. 
does it do anything for Storm? Can you get any deeper? Again, you can play Gifts Ungiven. So right. <laughs> there's just a, a ton of stuff you need to overcome. But we're listing modern cards that we have to overcome. So maybe something comes together in Standard where we can find a home for Precognition Field. I think it's a unique and powerful effect. I don't have anything to do with it right now, but I thought it bore mention. Well, you can pay three and exile Squee when he's on top of your library. Oh, nice. There you go. That's it. That's all I got. I don't know. I, I would love <laughs> for this card to be good. Like this... Jace's Sanctum, like you remember the the mono blue deck I think Martin Mueller played that had like the ring that gained you life and just yep. evacuation type stuff. Like that would be rad if that sort of thing existed. I do I do not see those cards here, but again, these are like the the, the complicated cards for the set. These are the ones that you know they had to write an FAQ about, right? So there are a lot right. of simpler cards and potential role players that we do not know yet. Very true. What else you got for me? How about Song of Fryalize? I think I'm pronouncing that right. I'm not really sure. Fryalize, maybe. That sounds a little bit more elfish. But this is an enchantment, a saga. It's green one. And saga phase one and two are until your next turn, creatures you control gain tap, add one mana of any color. The third phase is put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control. Those creatures gain vigilance, trample, and indestructible until end of turn. Dude, Cryptolith right. Right. Exactly. exactly. Like Cryptolith right rotated, and then they printed all these sweet enablers. And I was just mm-hmm. like, man, I wish we had that card back. Because like it saw some play, you know, like Luis top aided a pro tour with his Cryptolith right ham sandwich. Yeah, I just I wanted to see what that card was actually capable of doing, and this might be it. You like you have to pick and choose your spot, obviously, since this only lasts for so long. But then it can also function as like a win condition, sort of. So there you go. You're you're getting some payoff on the back end that you wouldn't get with Cryptolith, right? As you spent those two turns kind of developing this insane board position, you're now able to push that damage through with your you know who knows what you've put into play at this point. There's a lot of good options out there, and you're exactly right. I don't remember exactly what card triggered the thought in me but there was something in the set that as soon as uh it showed up cryptolith rights rotated and i was like oh if we only had cryptolith rights right now it'd be so good and i'm dying to remember what this card is i'll have to go through the all of standard it was probably like whirler virtuoso or something stupid you know maybe something that was just good like, enough oh, on its own man, i didn't have to we, worry about making we could have played energy marvel ulamog cryptolith right and just like hard cast the ulamog what did that been fun Right, not no, necessary. No, whatsoever. the answer is no. It would not have been fun. But uh, Lanwar Elves is certainly a great enabler for a deck that would want this sort of effect. Uh, you see a couple fatties in like Verdon Force and Thorn Elemental. I don't think those are good enough, especially since there's just like Walking Ballista, you know, and like a Johnny Unyielding. Uh-huh. Like there are so many good payoff things. Kamal's Druidic Vow, whatever. Uh, Tashana. A card that has seen virtually yes. no play whatsoever, no, no, but it's just regal that force. That was the card. That was the card. Probably. Yeah. So so you start looking at Tashana, Growing Rights of Itlamok, um, you know, these kind of huge mana creature based decks. There is probably something there. I don't know what it is. I haven't figured it out yet, but this card is setting off some alarm bells for me. So I want to explore this one. Well, th- this can be the second time on this podcast that we mentioned Matt Nass for no particular reason. Right. He'll, like, he, he'll, he'll figure it out. Exactly. This is his kind of card. So we'll just check in with him and then we'll know what to do with this card. Yep. Marwin the Nurturer, 2G, Legendary Elf Druid. Whenever another elf enters the battlefield under your control, put a counter on this. Tap, add an amount of G equal to this. 1-1. One, one. Like, that's another thing. It's like, all right, we have some ways to make a bunch of mana. What do we do? 
Yeah, there's a lot of snowball-y green creature mana in this, not only this set, but also the last set. There's a lot of payoffs for it. You know, again, Regal Force was a heck of a card, and we have something that might be Regal Force with upside still floating around the format. Yeah, and Song of Freya Elise is any color, so you get kind of these free right. splashes for things like uh, Tashana. Right, exactly. Yeah, dude, I like it. I don't I don't think I would ever play a deck like that at a Pro Tour. I don't think you could ever convince me, but we'll see. I think if it was broken enough, you'd happily play it and far enough off the radar. I mean, it's exactly what I want to do at a Pro Tour. I, I approach every Pro Tour trying to shatter it into a million pieces, never succeed. You, on the other hand, just show up with a very good deck and do very well. There's probably a lesson to be learned here. I'm going to completely ignore that lesson, though, and uh, work a lot on figuring out this card instead. Yeah, so circling back to Steve Locke and PT Dominaria, he the last two Grand Prix he's played in, he's won, right? Yes. He, he won GB Minneapolis with zombies and he won this tournament with humans. And I played humans at this tournament, albeit a different version. And at Amonkhet, I played zombies. Like Josh Cho loves these kind of like mid rangey creature decks that can switch roles. And I do as well. So, like, I, I'm very excited about what's going to happen for this pro tour because we have three people that all want the same thing to be good because like we all enjoy playing those decks and they're all generally pretty good. You know, you just have to find like the best creatures, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I I think, I think that's going to be our job. And I think we're just going to play a solid deck and try and get that seven, three constructed record, you know, maybe not blow anyone away or whatever, but yeah, just try and get a X and five and lock me for worlds or something. And I'll be sending you like Niv Magus Elemental type decks to yes. try and derail you. I'll be like evil Kermiting you, trying to get you down the wrong path. Dude, that's fine. That's acceptable. You know, yeah. I, I I probably have a PT dispute this season. There you go. That's the right spirit. So what else? Can we can we just talk about legends now? Are we talking about colored legends right now? Is is that our plan? Or are we in the multicolor section already? Uh, the multicolored ones are the fun ones. Okay. But we do have to call out uh, Naban, Dean of Iteration. That was the card I thought should be uh, your your handle for this week, as he is the Dean of Iteration, one of your favorite things. You didn't buy it, though. I like it. I think it's great, aside from the text on the card. <laughs> Besides what it does, it's a great card. Yeah. I, I don't know if I would be a Dean also. Not, not an academia guy? You don't see yourself as a, a future professor? I would be one of the like alternative academic things you know like a college that's not really a college <laughs> wait are you talking like a scam college like a for-profit college or just one that's just super artsy and like free-flowing in its pursuit of education both absolutely okay. both okay good but yeah i i am definitely down with iterating i don't know who knows like maybe we'll see the art for this card and it'll look just like me and then i'll, I'll have no other choice but to build wizard panharmonicon decks but we'll see right you'll be committed at that point Yo, if if wizards are good, I mean, I'm I'm down to play lightning bolt. Same. I I hope wizards are good, but we still need a lot of filler there. We need to see a lot more. Yeah, but you know, you've played Sage of Epitier before, and is Epitier in Dominaria? I don't even know. Uh, well, Sage of Epitier was in Time Spiral. I know. I, I know. I don't know how that affects things. Tablet of Epitier is from uh, Antiquities, I think, possibly. Yeah, Tablet of Epitier is from Antiquities. Okay, so that points to it being in Dominaria, right? Um, Epitier was a settlement in Eastern Terra Sierra. 
Epitir somehow survived as a center of learning even after the Phyrexian invasion of Dominaria up to the point where the Rifts appeared. So we are live for a Sage of Epitir reprint. I'm just saying. Super exciting. Also, we just briefly became a Vorthos podcast for a little while. I don't know how that happened, but we... <laughs> for a hot second, if you want to Google Epitir MTG, go down to the sixth highest <laughs> Google result, you will find an <laughs> MTG wiki that has maybe like half a paragraph about Epitir. The more you know. I, this, is, this is the problem with the modern day and age. I don't actually have to retain any knowledge because I can just Google it. Right. There's no reason to have facts in your head anymore. Yeah. They all exist somewhere. I hate it. Anyway, Golden Legends. You ready? Yep. Take us away. Halar, <laughs> the Fire Fletcher. So I I have not read like a lot of the proper names for these these cards. And now I'm just going to tell like a really dumb story. Do you know my friend T-Bulge? No, I don't think so. So he, whenever he answered the phone, it would just be like this really half-assed like, Hello. <laughs> so this is a call out to that. Hello. H U L L U H was eventually shortened to law L U H. So yeah, when I, I, I even use hello sometimes it tickles Cedric. He, he loves it. And now there is Halar, the fire Fletcher, who, if you say his name very slowly, sounds like T-Bolch answering the phone. Anyway, <laughs> one RG three, three legendary creature, elf warrior. Elf is key here. Trample. Whenever you cast a spell, if that spell was kicked, put a plus one, plus one counter on Hola, the Fire Fletcher. Then this <laughs> deals damage equal to the number of plus one, plus one counters on it to each opponent. So I, I said that Elf was relevant. Apparently it's not because this card is medium. I don't know. I think if this had the right support, it gets out of control very quickly. There has to be some very specific methods of kicking cards for this to really have a ton of value. I'm thinking of things like Edge of Autumn. Um, where you just get to like play this, dome them for uh, for four immediately. I don't know. That's not like a real modern thing. But if there's some alternative costs... Edge of Autumn is cycling though. Oh, you're right. You're right. That is cycling. So what are alternative kicker costs you could possibly get to? Well, see, that's the thing. This this feels like a, a limited build around card for red green. This, okay, this does so not this feel... Like, not... Yeah, this does not feel like a constructed card to me. Okie doke. Um, I think the rate is good, but you're probably right that it would rely on there being some broken kicker costs, um, some alternative kicker costs, which just may not exist and therefore kind of renders this very clearly a limited card, like you said. Yep. We're we are looking for elves that make mana or draw cards. That's what we're doing. All right. Mm-hmm. Ariel, Knight of Windgrace, 2WB, Human Knight, 4-4, four, four. legendary, obviously. These are all legendaries. Vigilance, two dub tap, make a two two, reduke knight token with vigilance. B tap, tap X untapped knights you control, destroy target creature with power X or less. This this reads pretty appealing, actually. I think this feels like an old magic card. Like something torn from many years ago. I just keep thinking of Ether Sworn Adjudicator. And they are kind of like very different cards. But the same type of thing with like a little bit of value tacked on, a way to kill other creatures. Um, and, and that card goes back probably 10 years now, and that didn't make a dent in the format. Yeah. I, I think this is an old style of playing Magic that isn't going to find a lot of support in, in modern times. Yeah, Ariel would need some sort of ETB effect, right? 
Yes. And that's what creatures are. They have to have spells stapled onto them. It's Correct. You have a tremendous, tremendous burden to clear. I mean, look at the fact that we skipped, I don't even know the card's name because I haven't bothered really familiarizing myself with it, but it's a white legend that's essentially Baneslayer Angel. And it's almost meaningless now. Uh, it's, it's not something we're even talking about. It's Lyra Dawnbringer, two white, three colorless, flying first strike lifelink. Other angels you control get plus one, plus one and a half lifelink. Oh, yeah. Five, five. Yeah, that's Baneslayer. Yeah, it's it's probably not good enough, which is crazy because the Baneslayer stats when they first came out were kind of mind-blowing. I'm not convinced that card's necessarily going to see play. Could it see play? It's possible if things line up the right way, but that's just not how creatures work anymore. You have to get something immediately, and this kind of fails that test, and it's it's not powerful enough to overcome that weakness. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's predicated on what removal exists, right? Like, Baneslayer was great because it was like... Bituminous Blast was the top end and like, oh, I guess I have to play some Doom Blades, even though it like doesn't kill Putrid Leech or whatever. Like there were there were actual costs, but now it's like, well, we we just all play four Vraska's Contempts and maybe there are some Chupacabras yeah. here and there. And that, that this is exactly the type of card that Chupacabra embarrasses. Completely invalidates, correct. Yep. Okay, so next, Tiana, Ship's Caretaker, 3R dub, legendary angel artificer, 3-3 flying first strike. Whenever an aura or equipment you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, you may return that card to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step. All of your auras and equipments become Scarab Gods. Don't think I'm interested regardless. <laughs> I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do with this. Again, feels kind of like it's costed for limited and likely isn't going to be a rare, if I had to guess. This is going to be the big change uh, coming in this set, as we'll see a lot more maybe even common legendary creatures. I don't know if I'll go that far, but this could, this could very well be an uncommon legendary creature. Common legends would kind of suck because you'd end up with like four of the grizzly bear legend in your deck or whatever. And it's like, okay, my, my mox Amber is on, but man, are my draws going to suck. Right. I mean, it's an interesting cost. It it might be fun to do one time um, or it might be a huge problem that absolutely limited environments can't support. I'm not sure. I've never tested it out. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure the work has been done on the backside to figure out if common legendary creatures are viable and limited. But I do think uncommon legendary creatures are viable and limited. And this feels like one of those to me. Yeah, completely fine. And, you know, it's like, how often do you end up with like two of the gold uncommon in your two, your your color pair? And you're just like, oh, man, this is so sick, right? Because it doesn't happen very often. Normally, you just have one of those in your deck. So, Right. It's kind of the build around. Right. All right, so Firesong and Sunspeaker, 4R dub, Legendary Minotaur Cleric, 4-6. Red instant and sorcery spells you control have lifelink. Whenever a white instant or sorcery spell causes you to gain life, this deals three damage to target creature or player, notably not Planeswalker. Ooh. Interesting. Do you do you want to talk about that a little bit? I th- not really. I, I, it feels so awkward to me, though. I really can't wrap my head around it that cards are being errated to kind of reach back to planeswalkers but not all of them and there's going to be future cards that also don't reach planeswalkers i don't know i find it really uncomfortable and a a strange decision i think it's fine i think the amount of people that are like all right i'm gonna bolt your chandra like it is just intuitive for them to have that happen and then you're like lava spike you they have a counter spell and they're like yeah okay whatever and they're like no redirect it to jace idiot it's like oh yeah i forgot that was a rule you know, like it is more intuitive to do it this way. It is going to be a little dirty in the meantime, a little messy. Uh, but I think we're going to get there and I think everyone is going to be happier for it. Maybe this takes like two years or something. I don't know. 
I totally agree with you. That's more intuitive. But why isn't just every single card changed to it? That's my beef with it. Like, why doesn't every single card function that way going forward? Oh, I have no idea. I mean, yeah, earthquake would be weird, right? But yeah, yes. I, I I don't know. I haven't looked through like every specific like corner case or whatever. Another reason to do this is because of arena. So it's like a thing that removes a click. And like last night, I I valicuted someone and they had two planeswalkers and it was miserable. You know. Right. No, I, I do think there is a purpose behind it. I think it was kind of uh, executed in, inelegantly, but probably necessarily so. It's probably something that you just can't do cleanly, and this is the only way to get there. I'm, I'm sure it'll ultimately be fine. It's one of those changes that we could get real upset about, and you'll, you won't notice 99.9% of the time. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, if this ends up making Planeswalkers a little stronger because Fire Song and Sunspeaker does not hit them, and I don't mean this card specifically, but like cards that are similar to things like this. Like, I think that is fine because Planeswalkers were in the spot where it's like, oh, here's a really good three mana one. Well, we should probably not do that immediately again. And well, here's a busted four mana one and we removed Elvish Mystic and stuff. So it just really matters a lot whether you're on play or draw for things like Gideon Outlive Zendikar. Now it's like, well, okay, we'll make them cost like maybe four, probably five. There'll be these sweet cards, kind of like build arounds, but they'll be harder to kill. I am down with that, you know? Like, mm-hmm. Do not make any more Jace the Mind Sculptors or Gideon Allies and cars. Make more like Nissa Vital Forces and Jayas and stuff. Giant. Right, like small small ticks of value throughout the game as opposed to games over in three turns. Right, don't, don't let it be like, oh, if I untap with this, that's game, you know? Yeah. But it, yeah. if it's not going to win you the game immediately, then you need to make them harder to kill. And this this rules change probably does that too. So, I mean, it, it might make it easier for them to develop sweet planeswalkers. And I'm down with that. Yeah, I'm okay with that for sure. In the meantime, I'll, I'll put up with some BS and some judge calls, whatever. Yep. All right. Primeval's Glorious Rebirth, 5 dub B Legendary Sorcery. We missed one of these last time because it was hiding out in the gold cards. Return hmm. all legendary permanent cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. Hmm. Damn. Yeah, powerful effect. Potential build around. I'm not sure what's there. If there's ways to just like win the game on the spot every time you cast Primeval's Glorious Rebirth, probably. Certainly in like older formats, I- I'm sure there's ways you can set up to to win with good consistency. As it stands in standard. I don't know. I, I like when these kind of huge mana reanimator, reanimator strategies are possible. Uh, if you remember something like Angel of Glory's Rise oh, and, yeah. and weirdo decks like that, this kind of feels similar to Angel of Glory's Rise in a lot of ways where it, it might just be what we're building an archetype around going forward. Yeah, uh, this card is rad. This this makes me want to search for like self-mill cards, anything that returns a sorcery to my hand. Uh, you know, like what are the best planeswalkers to reanimate with this thing? Uh, is there like a dragon Lord Colagon that could give all my things haste? You know, like this is a really sweet build around. Kind of interesting too, in that I feel like effects like this will often exile themselves. Whereas this one does not. Yeah. Yeah. That is weird. This is also all legendary permanent. So it's like you get like your lands back too. How many yeah. legendary lands are there? In standard, I don't think there's any. Okay, fine. There's, there's plenty throughout the history of Magic. I'm, I'm mostly thinking in the context of Standard. Yeah, I, I can't think of any right now. There's the, the backside of flip cards, but I don't know if there's frontside legendary lands that are played. All right, let's search for Standard Legendaries. Dude. Yeah, that's going to be a very important search going forward. Yeah, I mean, you get like 
your your blood fast back, your Azor, so they can't Wrath of God you. Uh, Brawl makes this cost one less. <laughs> and if you're countering their spells, you can loot away some fatties. And and you need a legend in play, so you are going to need you know some kind of cheaper legend to to kind of solidify your position on board and get you to primeval's glorious rebirth yep uh lannery chandra both ramped to this uh galta's huge yes it is man these decklists are going to be fun too because it's going to be like all right one of this one of this right the legendary restriction that we all have to figure out how to skirt around and and play around is going to add a lot of interesting deck building wrinkles gaunty's a nice one uh, if you end up being primarily red somehow, there's Hazaret's Monument to loot. Okay, to loot a little bit. Ooh, and Victor's yeah. Fair is legendary. Thank you. Well, there's some stuff here. I don't know how good any of it is. I mean, like, the first things that pop out are kind of the Mardu color cards. You know, very clean answers to the board where you just kind of stretch the game out for a while and you have these legends where you can generate some value, pick off your opponent's creatures, Chandra, Gonti. Yeah, Gonti's like the perfect bridge. Liliana Death's Majesty is like the backup plan. Nickel Bull. Mm-hmm. And Milzu. Yep. And Nickel Bullis might be just like the biggest payoff, like the biggest thing to reanimate. If nothing else, this deck sounds really sweet. I'll say that. Oh, yeah. I mean, this, this is likely an Hour of Promise deck, or it could mm-hmm. be. Ooh, could Sah- be. Sahili? I don't know if that does anything. The Boat? So there's a lot of very important, very good legendary cards already existing in standard, and we have a set coming that's based around legends. Yeah, Immortal Sun, uh, Scarab God, Vraska, Zakama, Z- good stuff. Zatalpa, giant, giant, giant creatures. Yep. Okay. So maybe playable, maybe a pipe dream. We'll see. Uh, Shanna, Sisse's Legacy, G Dub, Human Warrior, zero zero. This can't be the target of abilities your opponents control. And Shanna gets plus one, plus one for each creature you control. So I, I believe that's a she. She starts with, uh, at least as a 1-1, one, one because she counts herself. Mm-hmm. Weird little card. Uh, new take on the Hexproof ability. Uh, better than, I don't know. You could Better than Hexproof from Black, man. Uh, that's true. A little bit cleaner than that. <laughs> You could see this being included in things like the green-white tokens deck that are floating around right now. This is just a, a, oh, a yeah. good, solid beater that's safe from a few things, gets very large very quickly. Um, is it better than something like Adorned Pouncer, where you're just getting two copies of it? Uh, I don't know about that. But if you want more of that style in your, your green-white tokens deck, you're less about things like Huatli and more about board presence and just appealing to authority as quickly as possible. You could see Shauna certainly making the cut in those decks. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely about this card. I think this card is going to see play. Joda Archmage Eternal, 1RW, Human Wizard. There we go. Wizard, another another key word that we're looking for. 4-3 Four, Flying, you may pay Wooberg rather than pay the mana cost for spells that you cast. Well, you had me and then you lost me. Yeah, this is not doing a lot for me. Also, I don't profess to be an expert on the EDH formats. Wouldn't this not work in EDH? Like, can't you not make mat? Like, if if this was your commander, can't you not make colors that your commander isn't with your mana base? Uh, it has something to do with color identity, and I don't remember what that means exactly. But I believe it is like whatever mana symbols are on the card. 
Oh. So I think this is a five-color commander, although I don't know for certain. Well, our, our hyper-competitive podcast has gone to some fairly odd places Dude, today. That Dominaria, really... Dominaria is wild. <laughs> we yeah, go. I guess, I guess we just we just start talking about Madness and Vorthos and <laughs> Epitier, all sorts of weird stuff, man. All right, Moldrotha the Gravetide, three G U B. Elemental Avatar 6-6. Six, six. During each of your turns, you may play up to one permanent card of each permanent type from your graveyard. All right, this is a thing to reanimate. Yes, but it could also function as a alternate bridge to your reanimation plan. Yeah. Like this is a, another payoff for Primeval's Glorious Rebirth. Our deck is now four colors, but Well, no, it's 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 five because we're playing Chandra to ramp, right? Right, so things are getting a little complicated on that front. But regardless, this this does the job of being something to reanimate and also enabling your reanimation plan once you've milled yourself a little bit and getting some some good value there. So this is supposed to be a thing. It's it's very clear that some kind of graveyard based legend strategy exists. I don't know. I mean, I guess this isn't calling out legendary permanence, which means in a lot of spots, you just get to play a land from your graveyard right away. If you have one yeah, there, dude, that's cool. I'm talking about like Scarab gotting this back, playing a land, casting a trial, Ooh. casting a trial of ambition. Oh, that's dirty. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, you, you kill my thing. Well, I have like the, the budget Scarab God, who cares? This card, the more I think about it seems pretty good. I, I think this might be a player in standard. Uh, it, it does a lot. It passes the, we'll call it the Chupacabra test now, where you can get immediate value as soon as you play Moldratha. Maybe not as much as you would like. You certainly have to be pretty late in the game to be getting spells from it. But you are able to get a land pretty quickly, assuming you have some way of you know evolving wilds or something like that, self-mill, wh- whatever it takes. I could see this card being good. I could also see, you know, we're looking at, mythic spoiler right now it has this card marked as a rare this doesn't feel like a rare to me this might be a mythic i think they might have this one wrong yeah it's entirely possible i feel like it would probably have a rider if it was mythic like just random death touch or whatever <laughs> so something goofy and irrelevant but really pushing it up to that, that next level yeah maybe i mean i mean i'm not an expert you know but right nor am uh, i Ar- arvod the cursed 3WB, Vampire Knight 3-3, Death Touch, Lifelink, other legendary creatures you control get plus two, plus two. So, uh, yeah, I think I think they nailed this one as uncommon, like the white-black build around. Right. Yep. Limited payoff. All right. Grand Warlord Rata, 2RG Elf Warrior. Hello. 3-4 Haste. Whenever one or more creatures you control attack, add that much mana in any combination of red and or green until end of turn, you don't lose this mana as steps and phases end. So, so Rata is very similar to the the old version of her card. Hmm, Heretikeld, right? Yes, uh, I I liked the two mana one a little bit better, I think. But this is another card that can potentially generate lots of mana. Right, more more snowbally mana cards, more elves that do that. Kind of reaching a critical mass right now. One of the things to look for when trying to build new archetypes is redundancy. How often are you able to execute this uh, snowball-y big mana plan? Well, it's starting to look like quite often. Um, there's a lot of redundancy in in these puzzle pieces here. So uh, interesting card. I think this one sees play too. And, and I think it does so in the context of green creature big mana decks. Yeah, it is. it is cool that she has haste. For sure. Yep. 
And if, if you have enough creatures or close to enough creatures, like she basically just pays for herself. So she's the world's largest burning tree emissary, potentially. Right. She. I mean, you, it's not too hard to envision starts where even if you're just playing fair, you're like a red-green monsters deck, let's say. It, it's not hard to see spots where this card is essentially free. Right. Um, you'd have to retool a little bit and, and maybe lower the curve. But uh, there, there's obviously heavy competition in the four-drop spot, especially for red-based decks. Uh, so I don't want to slot this one into standard, you know, all over the place quite yet. But this card does seem good enough on power level to be included in standard. Yeah, definitely potential. And one of the things it's just like, oh, I get a free counter on my walking ballista too. Like, you know, like a, a lot of things to do with that mana potentially instead of just like play another four drop. Hmm, yeah. All right. Uh, Hoira, Weatherlight Captain, 2UR, Human Artificer. 3-3, three, three. whenever you cast a historic spell, draw a card. Artifacts, legendaries, and sagas are historic. Broken or meaningless, right? Yep. <laughs> That's kind of how this card goes. There, there's really nothing else to it. Either this is the core of a completely broken combo deck, or this card never does anything. Uh, so Hoira is an artificer. There are lots of current artificers. There are yes. things like Inventor's Goggles, uh, Unclaimed Territory... The, the Thopter convoke stuff. I mean, it's it's possible that Hoira could slot in there as like a mid-rangey like draw engine type thing, but yeah. Yeah, I, I think that it's already a fringe archetype and this card is not pushing it to the forefront, right? It's, it's not really doing anything exceptional. It might be a little tool for them to have in their tool belt, but kind of low on Jura for the time being, unless she does something just completely bonkers and, you know, then probably gets banned. So hopefully that's not the case. Yeah, I mean, maybe there's like a U saga that like loots, loots, draws a card or something, you know? Right. And then it's like, ooh, we're doing it. All right. Oath of Teferi, 3W legendary enchantment. I love that they keep doing the oaths. I'm so happy. When Oath of Teferi enters the battlefield, exile another target permanent you control, return it to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. So ETB blink something and you may activate the loyalty abilities of planeswalkers you control twice each turn rather than only once. So pretty powerful, but five mana. Yeah, I'm not seeing this one getting there. It feels kind of like very fun card. And usually that triggers my attention that this is supposed to be included in like EDH casual circles. The two activations of a planeswalker is a super busted ability in a lot of contexts. But it's a huge hoop to jump through. Five mana is a ton. Uh, the blink effect is not worth anywhere near five mana. I just don't know what deck is missing this. Obviously, it's a, it's a complete build around, but it, it's hampered in that by the fact that it doesn't stack. It's a legendary effect. So I don't know. I don't see anything for Oath of Tafari yet. It's not one of the cards that excites me. Maybe something will show up that pushes me in this direction. I mean, if you are Primeval's glorious rebirthing back a Nicol Bolas... Oath of Teferi is also a pretty nice one to get back. Uh, yes, but it's it's one of those things where like everything is good to get back, right? Kind of, but like you could you could see how combo kills could be formed, right? Right, and if there's something that enables your kind of dredging plan, so say I don't know something like uh, the Oath of Jace was still in the format where you could blink your Oath of Jace and get more cards in your graveyard, or you know, some kind of effect like that, you might be able to talk me into Oath of Teferi as kind of both engine piece and maybe it's a combo kill with one of the Planeswalkers out there. Who knows? But I, I don't see it quite yet. Just you wait, buddy. 
Maybe, maybe I'm I'm happy to be proven wrong on cards like this. I love when the <laughs> speculative ones turn out to be the ones we're actually excited about. But you know, you have to pump the brakes sometime. Dude, uh, it's, it's the all the here. it's all the weird stuff that gets me excited because I want to build decks around them. Right, you want it to be as good as possible. I totally agree with you. I, I want all of these cards to be spectacular. I don't care if they're good. I just want to see what's possible. That's a good place to start. So if you read a card like Oath of Teferi and you're just like mm, garbage. Well, what exactly would you read on this, you know, these previews where you're just like, oh, this card is definitely insane. It's like, oh, man, I'm really excited to play with Llanowar Elves and nothing else. Mm -hmm. Like, all these cards are weird. Obviously, you have to play with them. Anyway, uh, Garner the Blood Flame, 3BR, Human Warrior, 3-3 Flash. When this enters the battlefield, return to your hand all creature cards in your graveyard that were put there from anywhere this turn. Other creatures you control have hastes. Okay. That is a combo card. Yeah, that is our payoff, right? For our yeah. our legendary deck. It's a weird card to have flash. Again, not to go too far down the design hole. I mean, like with the ability, obviously it has to, but it's a black red human warrior. So that's kind of weird to me. Yeah, this is the, this is the new raging kabu for sure. Yeah. I mean, look, this is there has been many times throughout the history of magic where I've looked for something that basically just gives all my other creatures haste. That's what I care about is, is some way to enable a combo that requires all my creatures having haste. Well, here's Garna. And we already talked about a couple cards, which are able to, uh, you know, get cards back from the graveyard on Moss. So Gar Garna could be good enough. And, and if the primeval's rebirth deck is real, this is a part of that deck without question. Hell yeah. At least the cinder wind one, you are, Human Wizard, 2-2, two, two, loving it so far. Flying Haste, loving it. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, wizards you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. So that's, so, 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 that's so super of, prowess. Yes, exactly. This this is a nice little payoff for being wizards. Yeah. I don't know if it's constructed level yet, but it, it could be. Um, it's totally possible. And I hope it is because I really like when cards like this are good. Yeah, this card is red. All right, Derogaz Reincarnated for BRG. I don't know if we actually read this off last week or not. I know that I talked about it a little mm -hmm. bit. Uh, for BRG, Dragon 7-7, seven, seven, Flying Trample Haste. If this would die, instead exile it with three egg counters at the beginning of your upkeep. If Derogaz is exiled with an egg counter on it, remove an egg counter from it. Then, if this has no egg counters on it, return it to the battlefield. So, pretty rad Flying Trample Haste kind of unkillable thing, but... Uh, you know, as mentioned, probably not constructed unless the, like if Rasta's contempt weren't a thing and, you know, like these, the, like it was all about like, oh, glory bringer me, glory bringer you. All right, Daragaz, right. Then you just lose like this would be the king of mid range, but it's not. Yeah, not currently. Something to keep in your holster for when we're out of the Vraska's contempt merit meta. Yeah, this is haste, though, and it's a legend and it's big. So we could reanimate it. Just Very true. Out there. Dude, how many sevens does it take? It's like Terragos, Nicol Bolas, and just anything else, right? Yeah, I mean, if, if you're casting your seven mana legendary sorcery, I, I hope you're winning the game. That should be kind of, it should be very easy to do so. But yeah, there's a lot of powerful, powerful support for the seven mana legendary sorcery. I, I guess without surprise, right? That's kind of how this card has to be for it to exist. Yes. All right. Rona, Disciple of Gix, 1UB, Human Artificer 2-2. Two, two. When this enters the battlefield, you may exile target historic card from your graveyard. 
You may cast non-land cards exiled with Rona, four tap exile the top card of your library. Weird. It's like a, a gravedigger for a historic thing, but it has to live. Yeah. Instinct is not good enough. I think that this is close to passing the Chupacabra test, but in actuality with a with a 2-2 body and kind of a very, very expensive way to get extra value beyond the initial burst, not to mention you have to set up, you know, having a historic card in your graveyard. That's not a given. You know, artifacts, legendaries, and sagas isn't the broadest possible type. So I think this is maybe too many hoops to jump up, jump through for not enough payoff at this stage. Uh, yeah, I don't see this really bridging us to any of the reanimator plans or anything like that. Just not good enough in the face of other three drops which exist. Yeah, I think that this could be the blue-black uncommon for limited, maybe. That's possible. That's possible. This may be incorrectly uh, marked for rarity at this point. All right, slime foot the stowaway. 1BG Fungus, 2-3. Whenever a sapperling you control dies, this deals one damage to each opponent and you gain one life. Four colon, create a 1-1 green sapperling. I really hope that this points to the theme of the green-black archetype being Thalid-based because that would be super exciting for limited anyway. I I don't think this card's... Thalid-based sacrifice? Right, that would be awesome. No question. Uh, I I don't think this card's pushing into Constructed, although it's worth noting that it's kind of a home if we end up with unlimited mana through anything. Uh, This is a nice place to dump it, but beyond that, I don't know. Not doing a whole lot for me right now. Word. I mean, there there is Thalid Soothsayer, 3B23 uncommon, or potentially uncommon, two second creature draw cards. So it's like, there, there are a few of these things. Right. And I think Thalid Soothsayer is an interesting combination of abilities. Um, having that reusable sacrifice outlet, even if it's a little expensive, uh, the the value of draw a card off a of sacrifice outlet is, is usually pretty strong. This will almost certainly be a very big limited player. I don't think it quite pushes into constructive, but it's worth noting. This is a rare kind of mishmash of uh, abilities to get together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's also another Thalid. Each creature you control, that's a Fungus or Strapling, gets plus one, plus one. So yeah, there's a Thalid Lord. Thalid Lord, yep. Uh, the sack outlet to draw cards could be good in the Song of Freilis deck, potentially. Mm-hmm. Yep. But yeah, uh, we, have, we have gone well over our expected stuff. And uh, that is all the gold legendaries we have for now. We still didn't get to artifacts. We're never going to get through this I set. Know, man. It's dude, never happening. Dude, it's okay. By the time they start dropping like official previews, we'll be ready. I guess that's true. I guess so. All right. Question time. Yeah. So a uh, really nice question from uh, Devin Caldwell over in the game podcast discord this week. His question is, if you both had infinity time to contribute one more type of content to the magic community, what would it be? So what would be your man- magic manifesto? I did this already. It's called Social Currency. If you go to my Twitter at G3RRYT, you will see it as my pinned tweet. I think it is the best article I've ever written, not necessarily just about magic, but about life in general. And I hope, I hope, hope, hope that everyone reads it. Uh, I do think it is great, even if you cannot empathize yourself. So uh, it is a very personal piece. And I just want to do more stuff like that, basically. And I also want to do... A few other things, like say someone starts playing Magic, right? And I've given the spiel to a lot of people. So if you're hearing this for the second time or 10th time, I apologize. But 
If you just are starting to play Magic, like say your friend gets you into it, and they're like, hey, I think I want to play Standard or I want to play Modern, where where do they go? Hmm. I want to say places like Star City, but obviously Star City kind of presumes a certain level of knowledge already. Yes. So I want there to be a knowledge base that is, and this is a big ask, but a knowledge base with, you know, just like all the information that you would expect, like deck techs and sideboarding guides and maybe like video walkthroughs of like how to play the deck and certain matchups and stuff. And, you know, maybe this is not like free content necessarily, or maybe this is like a big, kickstarter type thing or patreon thing i don't know but like if someone's like hey i really want to learn about affinity what do you do you just like go dredge up old articles that were topical for like two weeks and then are now outdated that's crap that is utter crap right so you want more like basically bibles to archetypes and things which are timeless content as well as just a ongoing resource that players jumping into the game can kind of get up to speed with the metagame real quickly. Kind of the way I do when I inevitably hop back into Hearthstone every six or seven months. Um, It's not something I play regularly, but when I do get involved, I want to get up to speed real quick. And there's a lot of resources for doing that in Hearthstone. Yeah. And not so much for magic. So, I mean, you can, you can go on goldfish certainly and like look at the metagame and like what decks there are, but just like, Imagine if you are literally just like your friend just taught you how to play magic and they're like, hey, let's go to a Grand Prix this weekend or whatever. Like, how do you feel like at all remotely competent and ready, you know? And, Mm. you know, like Reed Duke wrote a great series on the mothership uh, that I believe was called Level Up. And that was just like very, very beginner basic theory stuff, which I think is phenomenal. And there's just not enough stuff like that. And it's like, I would just like want that stuff on there too. It's like, you know, step one, like this is where you are. These are the things you should learn. Step two, like, you know, here are the various formats of magic and what you need to know about them. And then it's just like the, the super deep dive into like individual archetypes. Like there should be a knowledge base with that. And I would love to do it myself. But, you know, if someone wants to steal that idea from me and just create it, I wouldn't be mad. Yeah, it would be a huge service to the game, certainly. I don't know that anyone could do it as well as you could, but it should exist uh, maybe someday. Maybe that's on the the game bucket list. I would kick that thing's ass. I would destroy it. I would do the best possible job, and I know that. I'm sure. Okay, my answer. I'm going to give two answers. The first answer, and this kind of assumes a skill set that I don't have, but I have infinity time, so I could certainly teach myself in infinity time. And it's interesting that Devin used the word type of content because this isn't what you'd expect from content, but the type of content I would want to provide more than anything is a way to improve the magic viewing experience. And I've always said that I think for magic to kind of take that next step into being a really prominent and exciting esport, it it needs to evolve coverage, not in terms of like what's being done, but in how it's actually being presented. And I think you need a proprietary client for delivering coverage of Magic the Gathering. And it has to offer your viewers a lot of features that typical esports viewing does not offer. I don't think Magic on Twitch is ever going to reach its greatest heights just on the default Twitch platform. You need to have you know interactive overlays and the ability to 
know all the cards in someone's hands at all time and to mouse over that card and see exactly what the card does and not rely on, you know, knowing every possible card in the set and the ability to scan over the battlefield and see exactly, you know, what counters are on what creatures. So I'm asking a lot. I understand that. But I've, number one, been given infinity time. So I, you know, <laughs> I'll work on it. Who cares? And And number two, I think that this is kind of the jump that magic needs to really move into the upper echelon of competitive endeavors, because look, magic is the best game ever made. You cannot convince me of any other game competing for that title. And that is including video games and sports and and all these possible things. So why isn't it the best possible viewing experience? And there's a lot of answers to that question, but I really wish that we were doing more to, attack the problems that magic has as a viewing experience as opposed to just being like well we'll work around them and we'll kind of try and gloss over them no let's attack them let's destroy them let's get them out of the viewing experience and 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 really work on getting a a different way to view and interact with professional magic and magic tournaments again asking a lot but i that would be my my magic manifesto and the second thing which is actually possible and something i could potentially do I think coaching is done all wrong currently. Yes. And I'm going to say, as opposed to actually answering this question, I'm going to say stay tuned because I think at some point this is where I'm going to dip my toes and I have a lot of thoughts about it. And, you know, when I have everything hashed out and maybe I'm ready to actually take some some steps forward to providing better coaching, uh, game listeners will be the first to know. Hell Yeah. I, I actually had a few conversations about this this weekend. So a uh, few things. First of all, Tactics Ogre is the best game ever created. All right. Whoa, whoa. So, <laughs> so get out of here. Ridiculous stance, first of all. Likely, um, but whatever. I don't care. Uh, second, I think that Magic has too high of uh, like complexity barrier to to actually be able to you know like tackle those things and attack those things that you're talking about in order to make it watchable, like. So Hearthstone has dipped into this a little bit with like weirdo Twitch overlays and stuff. I believe Eternal has a thing now. I haven't actually watched an Eternal stream to actually confirm this, but I believe that they you can like link your your game to your Twitch account or something, and it'll provide like hover over things that you're talking about. And I be- right. I believe that Artifact is going to be doing some of this stu- stuff too. So it is happening. It's in the process, and I think that. If, if Arena is not planning on having that functionality, like certainly once everyone else starts doing it, then they will, I would hope. Right, but we need, like Magic needs to be the leader on these things. I know. You have the best game. Dude, I know. So be the leader, attack these things head on. That's what frustrates me a lot of the time is, is I'd love to see more proactive, like listen, you're, you're squandering having the best resource in, in the best possible game by not getting out ahead of these other companies. Listen, the, the other thing that, I wanted to say is that, damn, we we are both passionate about just like magic in general and the various things, man. Like it, yes. it there are some weeks where it's like, oh, you know, maybe it's like lower energy or whatever. But I think that this week was a really good one. And especially like closing on this thing, it's just like we both just like go off on tangents. I think it's awesome. Right. My wife says that when I talk about magic, I sound like a different person. Yeah. She says I do not talk about anything with this with the same kind of um, fervor. I hope she doesn't feel left out. I would feel really bad if she's like telling me that I need to be uh, more active in our relationship. I don't think she is, but I would feel really bad. She said, why don't you talk to me like you talk about magic? Yeah, it's I like know. I can't it's answer like, that. It's like those memes, right? It's like 
I wish I wish Brian talked about me the way he talked about magic or whatever. Right, right. Hopefully that's not the case. But yeah, I, I, you're exactly right. We get we both get really excited about magic, and that's why I, you know we're here doing this every week. Hell yeah, and that's why we're gonna keep doing it because this is rad. Agreed. And and everyone who comes up to us at events to tell us how rad we are, that's cool. I like that. Brian does too. Yes, I do. Oh, we should also mention as we, you know, f- finish fielding our Patreon question of the week, there's some big changes coming to the Patreon real soon. You guys might want to head over to the site if you're not already a member there. Uh, you know, I updated uh, some stuff. Some stuff yeah. is coming. It is rad. Times are changing. Yep. Finally got off my lazy ass. Because because Brian yelled at me enough. And that is what it takes sometimes, you know? That's why we make a good team. We push each other when we need to. And you needed some pushing. And it's happened. So here we are. Absolutely. And uh, whenever you want to sit down and like actually talk about coaching, not like, you know, the the whens and wheres or whatever, but just the how and the process and how I think that, like you said, everyone is just coaching all wrong, then we should do that at some point. And then I will push you. Okay. So we'll keep pushing. We'll keep making the game podcast, the Game Nation better by doing so. You know, keep coming back to see what we come up with next. That's game. Good luck.